Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 561 for the 24th of September, 2017. This week, how we obtain news is changing. The use of print newspapers and magazines is declining, as is the number of people who watch television news. Old media wants a place at the new table and is working hard to earn one. An update to Adobe Spark this week makes it possible for any Creative Cloud user to create graphics with their own branding instead of Adobe's. In short circuits, users of utility program Crap Cleaner were surprised to learn that the application had been manipulated to spread malware, but it's not quite as bad as it sounds. This is also the week that more than 100 Android smartphone apps were found to contain malware. Just never ends. And if you lose your internet connection, a temporary solution might be in your pocket. Many smartphones can double as Wi-Fi hotspots. In spare parts, only on the website, how to figure out if that new car you want will fit in your garage. And yes, there is an app for that. Business owners may increasingly turn to bots and virtual assistants to provide customer service. What do angry birds have in common with football players? And in the old days, IBM was always the safe bet for the IT manager. Now it's Microsoft, SAS, Google, and VMware. The way we obtain news has been changing. The number of people who get most, or even some, of their news from printed newspapers has declined drastically over the past 30 years. Television is still in the top position, but not for long. A Pew Research project shows that just under 60% of Americans get their news from television, about 38% cited online resources, 25% said radio, 20% mentioned newspapers. Clearly, that's why newspapers are doing everything they can to find a way to make online delivery profitable. Larger newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post seem to be doing fine, but newspapers in smaller cities and towns are struggling. The New York Times, for example, now has 3.3 million paid digital subscribers, and revenue from the digital side is about $442 million. Revenue from the print business is still more than double that of digital, though. It's possible, perhaps even likely, that newspapers will become fully digital operations over time. Newsweek tried that, but then had to return to a print version. The printed magazine is priced realistically, $140 a year, while the digital-only version is $40. Time magazine, however, seems to have the equation backwards. $40 a year for print and digital. $30 for print only. Just printing and postage probably cost more than that. And I said television's top position won't last. The Pew Research Project showed that 85% of those over 65 often get news from television, and only 20% cited online. But look at some of the other demographics. 18 to 29-year-old, under 30% cite television as a prime source of news, 50% say online. That survey was conducted early in 2016. In 2013, 54% of respondents in a similar survey said they obtained news from digital resources at least some of the time, 
By 2016, that share had increased to 72%. So clearly, the future of the news business is digital. Not all digital news sites are equally usable, though. You'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows some of the images from news sites using an iPad Pro with a 10.5-inch screen. That makes the device about the size of a magazine, and the resolution is 264 pixels per inch. As a result, the digital display is at least as good as what can be produced by four-color process printing that's used for magazines. The New Yorker's presentation on a tablet is the best I've seen. The table of contents appears just as it does in the magazine, but then tapping one of the section headlines or story headlines navigates to that section or story. You can also page through the magazine by swiping to the left. Now this could be cumbersome because the magazine has many long-form articles that fill many pages. Swiping left or right navigates forward and backward one article at a time. Once an article is open, Scrolling down reveals the full content. I think that's clever. It's the perfect solution that uses the tablet's capabilities to the reader's advantage. For example, I typically skip goings-on about town because the information there is usable only to those who are in New York City. Had the designer maintained the typical magazine page format, moving to the next section, which is called Talk of the Town, would take 13 swipes. Well, I often skip that section, too, and it's fairly long. So it's handy to be able to get by them in just two swipes. The New York Times and Washington Post take completely different approaches to presenting a newspaper in electronic form. In the New York Times, the front page looks nothing like the newspaper. Instead, it contains information about the dozen or so articles deemed most newsworthy, and an icon reveals a list of sections. Depending on the device you're using to view the Washington Post, you might see two articles side by side. Each column will scroll independently of the other, and additional items appear as the user swipes to the left. As with the New Yorker, each of the articles is in a single scrollable column. Those who prefer a wider text block can tap any column and make it full screen. Time magazine maintains the look and feel of a print publication. That might be just a little bit chaotic for a small screen. Broadcast news organizations seem not to have mastered website design to the extent that traditional publishers have. NPR displays lots of equal-size boxes, so it's unclear from the design which might be more noteworthy. The BBC takes a similar approach. ABC Television's online presence needs to provide access to entertainment programs and news, so the user has to drill down from the top just to get to the news section. The new media have the upper hand right now because they were designed from the beginning with the Internet in mind. But let's not mistake the old media for dead, at least not just yet. There's a lot of experimentation going on as organizations find the best way to present contents of their newspaper, magazine, radio network, or television network in a different medium. The next few years, in addition to being interesting to watch, will determine the winners and the losers as the media evolve. Adobe Spark has been aimed primarily at the general public. Features released this week make it a valuable component of the Creative Cloud because users can now remove the Adobe branding and apply their own brand. Better still, the application helps by making intelligent suggestions for colors and it'll even assist with the creation of a logo. 
Spark isn't new, and I've demonstrated its capabilities before, but the ability to add your own brand colors and logo make it much more useful for professionals. There's a free version anyone can sign up for, but it's also included with all Creative Cloud subscriptions, and that includes the $120 per year photography plan. Graphics created in Spark cannot be exported for use by Adobe's applications for professional designers, at least not yet, but all assets created in any of those other applications can be used in Spark. So I tried creating a variant of the TechBiter Worldwide website banner and uploaded it to Spark. After examining the logo, Spark selected two colors that it recommended for the brand and then generated an array of themed items for social media, websites, print, and more. All of these can be modified by changing colors, typefaces, and spacing, or by adding photos or other graphics. Check them out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Adobe Spark's premium features are included with all Creative Cloud subscriptions, but they're also available as a standalone application for computers and iOS mobile devices, if you want to go that way, $10 a month, Here's a hint. For the same price, $10 a month, you get Photoshop Lightroom, Photoshop, and Spark's premium features. So if you're thinking about it, that's the one I'd suggest if you don't need InDesign, Illustrator, Audition, and the numerous tools for video. You'll see four examples on the TechBinder Worldwide website, things that I created during testing. Two were created on an iPad. Two were created on the Spark website. So I think the bottom line for Spark has got to be five cats. If you're a professional, you're going to like the ability to use your own branding here. Those who have Creative Cloud accounts will be able to use the enhanced Spark features without any additional cost. This looks like a great way for people to create high-impact messages in literally just a few minutes. If you don't have a Creative Cloud account, you can still use the free version and have all of the features except for branding. You'll find additional details on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, some bad stuff where you least expect it. CCleaner, which is short for crap cleaner, has been around for decades. It's a program that a lot of people use to clean up temporary files and remove unnecessary registry keys. But a recent version was hacked and it may have infected your computer. Fortunately, that sounds a lot worse than it really is. But it's still a black eye for antivirus firm Avast, which recently acquired crap cleaner's parent company, Piriform. Version 5.33 is the hacked copy. Since then, a clean version 5.34 has been released. I had version 5.33 on one computer, but apparently I had not yet run it. In any event, extensive scanning revealed no problems, and 5.34 is now on all of my computers. Avast says that 2.27 million users downloaded the compromised version of Crap Cleaner. The company says it was able to disarm the threat before any harm was done. According to Piriform, the malicious payload could grab the name of the computer, a list of installed software and Windows updates, a list of running processes, the MAC addresses of the first three network adapters, and additional information, such as whether the infected machine had administrator privileges. This appears to have been the first step in what would have been a multi-step attack. The second step was halted. 
Piriform's Paul Young, writing on the company website, says it's unclear where the malware came from and how it was introduced into the application. The investigation, he said, is continuing. If you use Crap Cleaner, check now to be sure that you're not using version 5.33. If you have an earlier version, just skip directly to 5.34. And if you find version 5.33, update to 5.34. And then it wouldn't really hurt to run a full scan, just to be sure. Version 5.34 is available from Pureform's website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you have an Android smartphone, it may have been infected with malware that made its way past the anti-malware protections in the Play Store. More than 100 apps, 100, have been found with malware that sends premium-priced SMS messages. This could be big. The applications in question have been downloaded at least 1 million times, possibly as many as 4.2 million times. That's quite a range. The infected apps have all been removed from the Play Store, but they'll still be on your phone if you downloaded them and installed them. There are warning signs for the apps. They'll ask for internet access and other permissions. Now, many legitimate apps need various types of accesses, and users tend to just glance at the list and click OK. The malware is called Expensive Wall. It's a new variant of malware found earlier this year on Google Play. The Checkpoint blog lists the known infected apps. There's a link to that site from the TechBiter Worldwide website. So this might be a good time to check the list, see if you installed any of them, and then remove them if you did. At last check, 108 applications were listed. Some of the app developers might not even know that they were shipping infected products. Expensive Wall appears to be spread by a software developer kit called GTK. Developers use those kits to provide common functions that their applications need. Before downloading an Android app, it's a good idea to see how many times the application has been downloaded and what kind of feedback it's getting. In other words, let somebody else experiment with new apps and stick to the ones that have been around for a while, have lots of downloads, and are subject to good reviews. Now, that's not a perfect system, but it will reduce your risk considerably. My network connection vanished about 10.30 on the morning of September 15th. At the time, I was connected to a client's network. My first step was to find out what had gone wrong. I thought it was the client's network because any attempt to connect to resources on that network failed, but I was able to connect to resources not on the client's network. That was a false lead. The root cause of the problem, and here's a spoiler alert, was my internet service provider's name servers. Service was intermittent during my testing, which is why some of the connections worked and others failed. Research quickly revealed that the problem was not the client's network. Well, my cell phone can turn itself into a Wi-Fi hotspot, so I enabled that feature, connected to it, and was back in service with the client, although with a 30 megabits per second connection instead of 80 megabits. 
After four hours of using the cell phone Wi-Fi, I started looking for a workaround. Wide Open West still wasn't able to provide an ETA for resolution of the problem. The problem I noted in the spoiler alert was Wide Open West's name servers, but maybe not entirely. Because I know that WoW's name servers aren't always reliable, my router points to the open DNS name servers. But they were also not responding. Google provides a free name server service. When I pointed the router there, ah, my standard service was restored. Google's name servers are useful. Some people use them all the time. I generally keep them as a backup alternative. The IP addresses are 8.8.8.8 and 8.8.4.4. You might want to jot those down somewhere just in case you need them someday. Once my connection had working name servers again, everything was restored to full speed. But in the interim, it was sure nice to have access via my cell phone, even if it wasn't as fast as I'd like. Keep your cell phone in mind when other connections fail. Now, there's nothing to fail in spare parts this week, but you'll find it only on the website. This week, how to figure out if that new car you want will fit in your garage. Yes, there is an app for that. Business owners may increasingly turn to bots and virtual assistants to provide customer service. What do angry birds have in common with football players? And in the old days, IBM was always the safe bet for the IT manager. Now it's Microsoft, SAS, Google, and VMware. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.